Okay, Ethan, sir. So I have an observation to make that I think you're going to be very proud of. Well, Kevin, I'm intrigued to find out what you will think I will be proud of. So in watching the episode of Lower Decks, the spy humongous, I something two things right off the bat jumped out at me. You always pointed these things out, and it wasn't something that I was sort of looking for. But then when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah, I could see that. And now I caught these on my own. Twice in this show I caught it, in this episode I caught it, that this show is taking swipes at Discovery. I agree. The two points I, of course, am referring to is they – so they've turned – in my opinion, I think they've turned two, huge jokes into two of Discovery's biggest tropes, which is the acting captain, which the show just dismisses as not important – and that being in Starfleet seems to just be motivational speeches. And these are two things that Discovery does quite a bit of. And it's almost becoming cliched on that show now, especially the motivational speech part. And I think the show had some real fun at that show's expense. Interesting. Yeah. You think beyond just being a swipe or a, a poke at a Star Trek trope, you think it's directly... For discovery on that. I think it's directly for discovery. And the reason I say that is because while motivational speeches have been on other Trek shows, I mean, another one that comes to mind is Janeway giving a motivational speech at the end of Caretaker when they're lost in the Delta Quadrant. But that was sort of a speech for the entire series, right? That Mm -hmm. we're never going to give up hope. We're going to get home. Discovery... Does yeah, definitely lot. Kirk has given some, particularly in the movies. Kirk has given some. I mean, I, I can also think of like, you know, that's what the starship's all about. That's why we're aboard her. So it isn't as if motivational speeches didn't exist. The reason why I point to Discovery is because that show does it a lot. Mm. That show does it more than the other shows do. And it's always Michael giving some speech about who Starfleet is, who we are. I mean, multiple times in the first season, doing it to the Admiral. Multiple, especially in the third season, because it seems obviously that the Federation has forgotten who they are. That's, that's what I saw. I mean, and the acting captain thing, maybe not as strong, but well, okay. we've so seen a lot that. of acting captains on Discovery before, right? So, But... I did have that, and I wrote, ha-ha, sitting in the chair ain't shit. Right. Take that, Michael Burnham. <laughs> because I felt that they made this big moment for the character of sitting in the chair, right? And that's yeah. what we ended the last season of Discovery on, and then he sat in the chair, and it yes. was meaningless because he yes. hadn't earned it, and it wasn't anything. Now, right. I don't know, but it definitely hit me that way. And so, well, I see, understand I that. Yeah. But I just want to say, I understand some fans we're happy to see Michael Burnham sit in the chair. And I, I just, our critique is just of the character herself. Right. And the writing that led right. up to that, moment, to that moment is where our critique is. Exactly. Exactly. And the motivational speeches I have to really was the one that I'd say of those two, that was the one that was the most obvious to me because I didn't actually didn't think about, I'm glad you mentioned Michael getting the, captaincy because that actually wasn't even something i thought of i was thinking more of just the acting captain because discovery has had several acting captains and and while the show and the show kind of made a big deal out of that as to who the captain was now and so i liked that the show was also beginning to make a big deal out of it but then as soon as they got it 
Oh, del- shift change. Doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and matter, I think yeah. that that's what reminded me of the it even ransom whole thing. Yeah, the end of season three of Discovery was that little build up that they made to it seemed very similar to the the cinematic build up. Right. That was made for Michael, and that's what I thought was could have been a direct yeah. reference. And even ransom saying like, "Oh yeah, whatever, okay." Like we've seen on Voyager before that Harry Kim does have does captain the ship on the night shift overnight when nothing is really going right. on. Like there's a I forget the episode name, but he's actually he's literally sitting in the captain's chair with the night shift and he's even playing his clarinet. Because okay, nothing's yeah. going yeah. on. Right. I, Which, I think I remember Kirk a lot saying You have the bridge. Right. I guess if they're saying you have the bridge, that's like right. being an active captain, right? Um, yeah, for that for those few moments, yeah, 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 yeah. So when they're going on away mission or whatever, but the, the it, and really quick, like even the idea of like a night shift on Voyager, which I get, but like oh, nothing exciting is happening. Like you're in space, why would that even matter? The time the time of day would matter in space. Like anything could happen at any time. Oh right, right. And and yeah, and honestly, since all the day and night is artificial, I assume they would actually have crew, like a whole crew. Right. On one schedule and a whole crew on another schedule, so there's right. always a crew awake, well, but whatever. It works better for the show if everyone sleeps at the same time. Well, and for a while I wondered, like, how are they determining that? But then I I think at one point I kind of thought, well, maybe they're just synced up with, San, like, San, time in, Star, in San Francisco at Starfleet headquarters. Like, that's just the time clock that they go by. So Right. Or just yeah. told the computer, like, just, just pick 24 hours for right. us. Exactly. Yeah, we're in space. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but th- th- those two things really jumped out at me in this episode this week. So I, I thought it was great. And I overall, I mean, we'll obviously discuss the, all of this in more detail. But I thought that there was a, there was a lot going on in this episode. There was four. There were four different plots going on in this wow. episode, and yeah. it seems so contained, sort of. It's, no, I guess not. There were definitely three ones that I think it's, I, but, I kind of framed it around. It's very, but you're right though. It's very contained, but also thirty minutes less than thirty minutes. I mean, yeah, I, it's got to be. I think a testament to how because the writing on the show is very tight. Okay, we. I don't think you and I have. I, I can't think of any moments while we have critiqued decisions made on the show and what they've done i can't think of any plot holes can you like i don't even think that's a, that word i don't even think we've used that word with the show no it's because I mean, the writing is very no. tight it's not complex enough to have plot hole right it would be a real problem if they had plot holes yeah because it's episodic even if there are plot holes in one episode then you forget about it by the next week it- Right, because right. it's not. Yeah, you're not still trying to figure it out right. three episodes later, I guess. But wouldn't you agree that the writing on the show is it's very it's very tight writing. I mean, it's there is a beginning, middle, and end, and it's an extremely. I think they don't waste. They don't waste any time. No, they, everything's very efficient. Everything moves the story forward, but also makes us laugh. And it yeah, feels crazy enough. But it also feels very satisfying in the end. I mean. When an episode's over, like the show for me, especially these last couple of episodes, it feels really paid off at the end because things were easily set up in the beginning, properly developed throughout the course of the 26, 25 minutes, however long the episode is. And then it's all resolved at the end. And I feel good. It feels like I had a good 
meal or something, you know? I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't leave any loose ends. No. It's, uh, you're right. So, he, so for instance, if we want to get into it, the, the, for, the, um, Boimler joining the quote unquote red shirts, right. Right. Had a perfect trajectory. He joins them. He's into it. He gets disillusioned with them. He realizes that they're terrible. He goes back to his friends. Right. Right. It's a nice self-contained little arc. It is. I, I really, really liked this plot. What, because, you know, he's falling in with like the cool kids and it kind of reminded me of the Nova squadron in that Wesley joins at Starfleet, you know, the kind of the cool kids of the Academy in a way, but mm. obviously these people who Boimler kind of falls in with, they're not ideal Starfleet material to them. Being a Starfleet officer is just getting, is just ranking up and climbing over anybody they can to get there, to do what they need mm-hmm. to do to get there, which, as we learn, and we kind of knew this already, I think, but as we learn and as Boimler kind of points out to them throughout the course of this plot, that it's not about how you stand. It's not about giving motivational speeches. I mean, the theme of, the, of this plot, to me, is a classic Star Trek plot where a character has a chance to prove themselves overcomes the odds of the situation in a very unconventional way and they get noticed for it, right? It's not always about being the best. It's just about doing what needs to be done at the right moment. Right. It's almost as if they want to do the flashy thing. Right. Like someone who, um, I don't know, starts playing guitar and they don't want to practice chords or scales. They just want to like... right fling the guitar around them with the strap so it like flips around and then they catch it. Right. Uh, they just want to do the flashy thing. And exactly. The thing that I think is shows that at first I kind of thought, oh, this is like Boimler used to be, but that's not really true because Boimler always saw his role as I just have to be the best Starfleet crew member I can right. and that's how I'm right. going to go up. Whereas right. these people, the red shirts don't care about being <clears throat> good members of the crew. Yeah. They just want power for its own sake or just to be to move up for its own sake now when you say this is how Boimler used to be you saying like that those red shirts are who Boimler used to to be I I thought at first yes and Boimler used to be like the red shirts he was in his ambition but he was not in that he he always wanted to also or he always knew the path there was to be a good crew member it's it's right, like follow all the rules do everything you're supposed to volunteer for extra work all those kind of things it's interesting because Boimler Despite being lower decks and they're doing, you know, as one of the plots in this episode is, it's about going around uh, and collecting anomaly consolidation duty, right? Doing those small things. Like, Boimler understands. Like, he doesn't complain about that stuff, and he hasn't throughout the show, right? He understands that you need to do the grunt work to Mm -hmm. get to where you need to go. And, I mean, I can remember a moment... I made this note, I forget the episode name, but it was last season where Ransom says to Boimler, he goes, oh, Boimler, you're so promotable. (laughs) But I feel like Boimler now, given what he's gone through, what we, the trajectory he took at the end of last season, going into the season, he's on the Titan. Now he's back. He had that moment of the ship doesn't recognize him. He patched things up with Mariner. I feel like this plot gives him a little, gives him a little, I don't want to say a little more purpose, but like he has a little bit more kind of maybe 
motivation. Like, you know, he was glad to be on the Titan, but it's people like that who make him realize that, yeah, even though I may have been on that ship, maybe, you know, that wasn't, that was sort of a flashy, in a way, that was a flashy ship to be on, right? And maybe that's not, that's not what it's about. That's not what being in Starfleet is about. I think so, because, yeah, his goal there was really, he wanted to be on the cool ship with the cool captain. Right. And now he's starting to realize that uh, he just has to find his own way to be a captain. Right. Or whatever he's going to be. Right. Uh, And I think for him, it means, yeah, being a, a good member of the crew, being loyal to your friends, Yep. Doing whatever it takes to help the right. ship. Because think about it. When he left the Titan, he left to go on board the Titan. What did he do? He left. He hurt Mariner's feelings by leaving. Right. Which is exactly what those red shirts on the Cerritos would have done. They would have done oh, the totally. same thing to Fair move point. up. So I think you're I mean, I think that you're I actually think that you're right that he was he was like them in ambition right because i don't think that those officers on the cerritos they would have climbed over each other to get promoted probably right oh yeah stick together right yeah they would have done whatever it took probably right and even it seemed like their whole motive for having him there was kind of like what's the secret how did you get there right that's probably what they were more concerned about yeah and anything else it was i found it to be a very strong plot for him and I felt like it was a plot that was that was needed this season. There needed I felt like there needed to be that moment where he realized like being on the Titan because I was originally hoping that because we knew before the season began that he was going to be back on the Cerritos. I mean that was obvious. So the question was how does he get back there? I had hoped that maybe and we had seen glimpses of him in the trailers on the Titan, you know, screaming and obviously being overwhelmed not going well and it was all funny to watch i i hoped that he would have come to that realization on his own on the titan saying like i don't think i'm ready for this right but he came to that realization nevertheless so yeah i think he's growing he's moving forward and i I think that's all yeah enjoyable right and he he was pretty good at giving a motivational speech also you gotta gotta hand it to him on that Oh, he definitely was. He definitely very good was. speech. I think for this episode, I mean that that was most definitely my favorite. That was most definitely my favorite plot of the episode. I felt that like that was the one that just really had the most uh, was the most satisfying. I think it was the most well done, and I always enjoy good character development. I always enjoy a good character story. Definitely, I think the Packlids obviously the Packlids packed in more jokes. Oh, good, though. good one there. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because the Packlids are a joke. Even when they first appeared, they were a joke. One thing I'm noticing, if I can go big picture really quick before we get into the Wait. next plot, unless you have more to say about this one. I'm noticing, you know, particularly the, this episode, last week's episode, which was the uh, Dupler episode. I think I may have said this last week, too. Um. And by the way, just so the to set some context for the audience, we're obviously recording this a little bit late. So as we record this, we've already, I've already seen this week's episode, right? I have not because I wanted to remain pure so right. that you, the listeners, could get my un, 
varnished, but uninfluenced by the next episode opinion on this one. So I am suffering for the listeners. Well, I, I just have I, this is not a this is not a spoilery point. It's just a trend I've noticed across the last three episodes. It seems to me that I said this last time. There's less reliance on the Easter eggs, which is okay. I can take them or leave them, right? But I'm also noticing that the show, and I don't know if you've been picking up on this. I'm noticing the show is doing a lot more sort of like legitimate danger, right? Like they have moments where like they've had like those serious moments in the past, but they're always sort of like the edges are always, there's always some comedic moments around the edges of them. But I'm noticing that they're doing a little bit less of that and taking certain plots more seriously like for instance in this episode when that pack lead got loose on the cerritos i was like oh like i got a little worried there for it and then it just kind of smashed cut to a commercial like i kind of got a little worried about that for a second because it ended on like that you know serious note so and i like the captain, that yeah. and the head of security were taken hostage right so i mean have you noticed that too or am i is am i just maybe talking about it i, think, out so, of my, I yeah. think early on i think they maybe played up the idea that um the Cerritos is a nothing ship that does nothing missions. Right. Too, a little too much because nothing missions are pretty boring. Right. Um, so I think by giving them a little bit more to do, it, it, it is kind of nice. And yeah. yeah, I have noticed that. And that was one of my thoughts for the this, I guess we could call it the main storyline of the Paclids and the peace mission. Right. Is uh, this could have... This, general structure of this story could have been a next-gen episode. That's I always what that I use. written down today. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, this I, totally would have been a next-gen episode. They go to make peace with some strange aliens. Yeah. They hold them, and then they have to figure out, what do we do? Someone's trying to get asylum, right. but they're a spy. They obviously would have handled it in very differently. And I think, by the way, and I not- and I have noticed that we do say that a lot. Like, this is a, this is a plot that we could have seen on one of the other shows. But I, th- uh, especially next-gen. But I think that, for me, that pays it the highest compliment. Because... It's not a Star Trek show that's desperately trying to be something else. Like right. this wants to period. sit. This wants to sit alongside those shows. It clearly is a bit of a homage, what you could say. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think yeah. that it's just it's saying that they're doing what they're setting out to do well, which I sort of think is tell a yeah. next gen era type of story, but make it funny. Well, and I like what you said about this plot because one of the things I had written down was what I think one of the things about that, this plot that I think really works, the peace mission on the Packlet homeworld, is that while Freeman, Captain Freeman, commands a not-so-important Starfleet vessel, right? I mean, she's still an extremely competent captain and knows what to do in these situations. It isn't like, it isn't that, oh, because she's captain of a ship that's not very important, it doesn't mean that her skill is any less, right? Like... Yeah, she I, she could still do this on a more prestige vessel, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. And this was one of my complaints earlier, maybe in the first season, when I said there's no captain that would act like she acts because right. she was very petty mm-hmm. and she just never seemed to do any make any decision for the right reason early on. So I think right. that I like this progression where she's acting a little bit more like a traditional captain. Well, and I think what you are referring to, because I, I can remember the moment, um, I believe it's the f- final episode of last season, 
when she was supposed to go to the Cardassian homeworld and the Admiral... No, actually, it was not the last episode. It was that one where they had to be, like, everyone had to be efficient on the ship, and they they had they were timing them on their duties. She was upset that they were taken off of that, which was a more prestigious assignment, and I remember she threw her pad at the, at the uh, view screen. That may have been when you said, no captain would act like this. Um, I did it a few times, I think. But I, I think... Well, I can understand last season, like, it's sort of more played for laughs. I think the show now better understands that, to your point, this is not, that's not how a Starfleet captain would react, right? Like, they wouldn't react that way. Even if it is just played for laughs, it wouldn't make sense in the universe. You know, Kirk wouldn't do that. Janeway wouldn't do that. I mean, nobody would. Right. Yeah. Card definitely wouldn't. Yeah, I think there's plenty of humor to mine, but I don't think that you should compromise the way... I don't think you should compromise the universe that your show is set in to make a joke for something. Yes, you can't go so far outside of... Mm -hmm. I don't know, I guess it's a fine line, and I guess maybe they're finding the line, because obviously there will be some absurdity to anything when you're playing it for laughs but you can't go so far outside of starfleet right. behavior that you get it especially for captains i mean maybe mariner obviously could do some crazy things but you right. want your captain to have some not go too far outside normal but even when behavior. she does do that though like throwing her pad at the view screen going like oh i can't believe this like i definitely see the relation between her and mariner because mariner behaves the same way look that's where mariner gets it from right mm. so i can see that but again to your point no starfleet captain would behave that way so yeah i mean i think it is walking a fine line but and maybe that's why she's on a lower um you know, low prestige vessel because right. maybe they realize she's not because <clears throat> quite have it all together well i i mean she's an extremely competent captain like she is even though she's not the focus of the show I don't want to lose sight because you always, you know, you, fans always do the whole who's your favorite captain, right? Main character in the show or not a main captain, who's your favorite captain? And I do like Captain Freeman a lot. And right. particularly in this episode, I mean, as I just mentioned, that she's extremely competent, especially because, especially when, because the Paclids obviously are not the brightest alien species in the universe. And even though Captain Freeman is just like totally dumbfounded by everything she's seeing, she plays it down to make them think that they have the upper hand, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's good strategic thinking. Yeah. And even though it was also was played for laughs, it was still very funny how, how she asked at the end. Right. Well, you should tell me what you kept secret from me so I'll know how, how great you were. Right. Yeah, that was clever. That was clever. Um, I really like to see the Paclids again. <laughs> I think we're going to. They, they, they're definitely the Mike McMahon had said at one point, I think, before the season began, that they were supposed to be the uh, the recurring aliens this season. That's great. So That's great because I remember first, when I first saw them on Voyager. Correct? That's where they first showed up. No. No. Next, next gen. Next gen. Of course. Next gen. Um, it took me a while. To wrap my head around them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because they're so... I have to watch that episode again. It's been a while. It's I watched it within the last year, I'd say. Yeah. And they're so... 
out of character for what they encounter in, in these shows. They never encounter stupid aliens. You see them on Deep Space Nine, too, and I don't remember how they are on there, but yeah. So... Yeah. But, they're, but I, I thought that, they were great, also because it just their voices were hilarious, and it was just so different than any other uh, aliens. But I think encountered. I think that's why you see them on Lower Decks because they're just ripe for this show. They right? already were a joke, as right? I mentioned. Exactly, and it fits right in with that theme that Lower Decks has of not only of just bringing back the relatively unmemorable aliens particularly the ones that we've seen in the first few seasons of the next generation i mean right and the ones that are already funny like you know when the walls fell right right. that's already inherently funny well i think what people i don't want to say people forget because it's not to say that they should be realizing this but if you go back and watch next gen particularly the first season maybe a little bit into the second season the show still has that sort of like original series vibe that original series campiness about it and that's kind of the world that lower decks lives in it's doing a lot of like it's doing a lot of similar plots to that we'd see on the original series but also those first two seasons of next generation it's sort of like it's sort of living in that in those five seasons of the live action shows i just hope we don't see the um the african planet (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm sure they'll make a joke of that somehow. But like, but again, like those are the things that I would expect to see on this show. I mean, I love yeah, that. Yeah, if any show would ever bring back that those that planet, it would be right. this show. Because and they would do something good with it, I'm sure. I got to tell you, I think that one of the show's most, maybe the most brilliant move Lower Decks did was in the finale last season when they went back to that planet from Return of the Archons and Landru, they go back to worshipping Landru, the planet that Kirk and Spock were on. Because I think fans have always wanted, because you never see those planets on the original series again. Yeah. Because they just, it would be so weird to see them in a next generation DS9 Voyager setting, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was just the state of science fiction back then that's that's yeah. right and it's hilarious to think that and then it makes you wonder for all these places that the original series went around and did some good did they all just revert back to their terrible ways exactly once they left? exactly and so i love that not only they went back to that planet but again it was perfect i mean let's put it this way next gen could have gone back there and they would have turned it into a much more serious thing right mm-hmm. but i love that lower decks decided to go back and just make a joke out of it. Like you could have honestly gone either way. Like there was nothing absurd about it on the original series, really. Cause it had that, this is like, you know, outer limits, twilight zone era of tell of science fiction. Right. So they all had, they all were all written in a very similar way, but I like that lower decks decided to turn it into a joke and you just begin to see the result of like this Starfleet caution tape there. And there's a sign that says, don't, what does it say? Like don't worship or don't listen to Lander or something like that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, yeah, I, I, those are the things that those are the areas where I think the show really, really succeeds. And I just think, yeah, yeah. And it works in this sort of meta way because, right, what was the point? Well, the point was to deliver their lesson or their, you know, thematic right. statement about religion, I guess, in that case. Yeah. And so they did that. And then it really doesn't matter what happens to the planet after that because the show delivered its its message. Exactly. I mean it wasn't even the plot of the episode. I mean that was the that was the uh the cold open as I recall. Right. 
so yeah. the other the other half of the pack led plot is so you get the pack led who gets loose on the Cerritos, who is a quote unquote spy, and he's a really shitty spy at that. <laughs> right. uh, he was better. He's I think he was better than expected for a pack led, but just by a little bit. Right, but that's but again that this is what I'm talking about when I say that the show for, at least for at least at first when the pack led got loose, when Ransom and Kayshawn lost sight of him. That's when at least it had the appearance of like, oh shit, like it's it's ending the ep- it's it's going to a commercial on a serious note, not on a not on a punchline. It's like, right. oh, and it was also pretty humorous that they were taking a moment to sort of revel in how much smarter they were than the pack led. Ex- yeah, and that's when they lost him. One of the things that I had observed in my notes was that I love Ransom and Kayshawn teaming up together like that, and how. I think they're a fantastic comedic team and just how like high on themselves they are. They're just so much far more brilliant than the uh Packloads were and they lose them immediately. Um Yeah, and I really like the way we've seen Kayshawn. Right. Because he sort of he was there, Shax came back, he was just in the background, so it's nice to see him. You know what else is cool? I'm understanding his language. <laughs> yes. Same. Because they knew exactly what he meant. Yep. So, uh, that's obviously also context clues help a lot in that I understood the situation, but right. still, I think that's very clever that they're actually able to have him speak his language and have it make sense. Well, and I echo those sentiments, right? Like I like that when Shax came back, I'm over this by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I was afraid that he, I was afraid that Kayshawn was going to get kind of get the boot. Right. I don't know and what his he, role on the show is now. Any yeah. lines the next week, so that really made me worried. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know what Kayshawn's role on the ship is now, but I like that he's at least not gone. I like that he's still there, and that we're still going to get some. Because I was fearful that if he was just going to get sidelined, I thought because his his who he is, who his alien race is, you know, from Darmok. It's perfect for lower decks, and I was like, "God, I just—they're robbing themselves of so many com- of so much comedy if they just sideline him immediately." But mm-hmm. I think they're. But the thing is, they're being very. What I feel like they're doing is they're being very strategic about when to bring him on, when they can probably get the best use out of him. Yes, and I'll, I'll take that as long as he doesn't disappear. Right. But I, I, this plot, obviously, it's a little bit tied to the peace, um, plot on the planet, but. I like that eventually, like, you know, we see him wearing a Cerritos t-shirt and he's got the baseball hat. Like, he's just, a, he's like a little fanboy. And then the part where I just really lost it was when we actually see him floating outside the ship because it just came at just the right time. Yeah, that was, well, the timing was great. And yeah. it is, it was hilarious. And it, once you see it, it makes perfect sense, of course, because right. for a minute you think like, oh man, is he outsmarting them? And then you realize, no, they're idiots. Of course he's, they're not. Right. He's just, well, because so that was nice. Lower Decks is continuing. I mean, they're, do, they're doing this really well. Is because I had said that I want the show, I hope the show, rather than relying too much on established lore, that it really contributes its own lore to the, to the, to the, um, universe it's giving us a lot on the packlids and this right, episode much more. is doing never a saw lot Packland home packlid home world right i mean this 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 show right now is is contributing quite a bit 
to the, at least the lore of the Peckless. I mean, and the universe overall, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, they're not relying on the existing things to get the humor from, right? I mean, they're really making contributions to the, to the lore here, which I, which I really, which I really appreciate. I was, I was a little nervous, particularly in the early half of the season, that they weren't doing, that they weren't going to be doing enough of that. So, yes, yes, but some of the the. Mm, References here were funny coming from the Packlids right. only because they're so dumb. So they saw a female captain and they thought it was Janeway. Jane, and yeah, they couldn't Janeway. they just couldn't get that out of their head. They're right. like, okay, female Starfleet captain. Janeway is a female Starfleet well, captain. And they this thought is Janeway. The, and they thought the Cerritos last season was the Enterprise. And then when the Titan came in and rescued them, they go, Oh, it's another Enterprise. Yes. Yeah. So But I think you, there was one thing I forgot to mention about the. Uh, I guess I mean I guess I could mention this in the continuity, but in the Boimler plot, when they were teaching him, when the when the uh, Zinti officer was teaching him how to stand properly, I fucking roared when he actually did that when he hunched over. Because now this is where I think an Easter egg works perfectly. Because now. For context, right? He hunches over, saying, like, you shouldn't be standing like this, and he hunches over. He's mimicking the pose that the Kazinti have in the animated series. Right? Which They're, is hilarious, and I didn't notice it. Right. But, but it still worked, because he was making fun of right. Boimler's posture. What's funny about it is that, even if you don't know that that's what he was doing, he still looks ridiculous looking that way. <laughs> looking that way. Right. And it's just funny that he would say right. that Boimler's standing like that. Right, exactly. So I meant to bring that up earlier, but I can just, you know mention it again later but um because you your your january reference reminded me but yeah that was a good one that was a really good one yeah definitely and that brings us to our other story trash day uh of the the main our main our main team our our lower deck crew yep can i just say really quick so once again the show is kind of shaking up the dynamic i mean usually it's been two people here one person there and one person there this time they give boimler his own and then the three of them contribute which i can't think of another episode that's broken it up that way um right maybe, maybe yeah, early in the season with when he was off the ship but yeah particularly because rutherford and tendy have their sort of sciency dynamic so right. to have just one other person in there right was an interesting as kind mix. of the foil to the whole thing too Right. Yeah. So, and what they have to do is they're assigned anomaly consolidation duty, which is picking up the crew's research material from the ship's various missions, which makes sense because Starfleet vessels have science labs, and we we do see them from time to time. I mean, I never thought about like who puts that stuff there, but now I know that right. They have it was a crew funny too, just to that. think though that on their away missions they just grab random stuff and have it in their quarters. Right. Right. But it, but it's it was a funny and not. It made enough oh, sense. I, I have a note here that that montage of w what happens to all of them as they mishandle everything. I mean, it was great because we've seen things like that happen throughout the, the franchise, right? Like when Rutherford just randomly began expanding like very quickly. I mean, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I've yeah, never seen be that happen. Yeah. A whole episode where people in the crew are expanding. Right. But, I mean, we've seen what happens when throughout the franchise, right? Like when... They come into contact with like a weird anomaly or, you know, the effects that it has on you or it mm -hmm. shrinks you or whatever. So it was sort of a montage of like kind of all of those 
uh, moments, which I thought was, it was great. And, and it was fantastic. I think maybe it went a little far when she turned into a scorpion, but when Tendi just was holding the box and started to get more and more angry, like her emotions were. Yeah, that was a very original series. Uh, well, it it reminded me of that. Actually, reminded me of that next gen episode Genesis when they all got that disease and they all sort of like evolved and turned into various creatures. I don't know if that's what they were like channeling, but that's what it reminded me of. Oh, that's a fair point. So it was a yeah. little bit of that, and then a little bit of I know that there's one original series where everyone is gets super aggressive and angry. I can't yes. think of one. Yeah. So, um, but also, like, there's one of the things I wanted to note, point out, and I don't know if the show really kind of addressed it in the end enough. I don't know if there's something underlying there, but there's that moment when Mariner kind of lectures Tendi about this, and saying like you know sometimes like this work just i forget exactly what she says but she gets angry at tendy for being so excited that this is what she's doing and i didn't know if like if this was just sort of like leading to something or if this was just a moment in the episode but it just it came across like there was some underlying issue there was an underlying issue there but maybe that's just me thinking too hard about it but because she kind of they kind of made up and they made up in the end but yeah no i thought that was good and i thought it did go somewhere so he was getting mad at her for being excited about right. doing that work. And he was very much had to convince her that this was shit work. It sucks. And right. we shouldn't be doing it. And I hate it. Um, and, you know, I think there's a real world kind of message in there. Yeah. I guess. Because uh, by the end, he says, and I quote, we should have fed off your enthusiasm, not tried to trample it. Meaning him and Mariner. Yeah. Um, because, right? Uh, you you know, just the classic sort of therapy line: your focus creates your reality. So if you're just focusing on how terrible you think something is, you're going to be miserable. And if you're focusing on how the things that are interesting, you're, you're going to feel better about it. So, well, I think there was a nice message in there. Well, and it kind of, I mean, and also like it does. It did intersect with Boimler's plot in the end, which did kind of feedback, come back to Starfleet's not about giving speeches. It's sometimes just about doing, just doing a good job at what you're asked to do. I mm-hmm. mean, um, but, you know, Boimler's and this plot and Boimler's plot come head to head in the end because he's the one ultimately who has to get Tendi back to normal. And he does that by because earlier in the episode he sets it up where he, like he does something and he makes her laugh, and so mm-hmm. he decides to make continually make a fool of himself so she'll start laughing and then it brings her back to uh, to normal. I got a huge laugh, huge fucking laugh when all of those when they were like overlapping their speeches. That was great. Yes. Yeah. So what are you doing? We're motivating the crew, right. and it was a great answer. He said, "But you are the crew." Right. I thought that was that was fantastic. That was a really good payoff. But yeah. ultimately, it, it was just you know they they have this whole mistaken idea of what a captain does. Yes, a right. captain can give it a motivational speech, but then you have to go and do some things to exactly. clear it up. Yes, whatever the situation is. Yeah. Um, but that's what I mean when I say like that. That's what is so satisfying about the show when it does this because that's again that was a classic Star Trek plot where a crew member again is put in a situation where they have to sort of defy the odds in some unconventional way and that ultimately is kind of what being Starfleet is all about like 
it's not just about following the rules, right? Exactly. It's creative thinking. It's creative thinking. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, in a way, it goes back to when Kirk was at the Academy and he does the Kobayashi Maru scenario, which they, you know, obviously talk about a lot, which is a recurring conversation piece in the Wrath of Khan. I mean, Kirk thought, I mean, it was presented to be a no-win situation. Kirk didn't believe in that. He reprogrammed it and he won. And while he cheated, it was unconventional thinking. Mm. He got a commendation for original thinking. Mm. He's thinking outside the box. And I think, and that's what's so satisfying about this. Like that's, that's Boimler sort of like, you know, yeah, sometimes I have to, you have to look like a fool to, you know, it's okay to have yourself covered in food, right? Yes. And not only that, it was the fact, right? So the red shirts were trying to tell him like, this is a starship, not a friendship. Which um, I like, and that's a really good line. It was good. Yeah. And if not for his friendship with Tendi, he would have not known how to do that. So in this case, exactly. his friendship and his close relationship was the asset that allowed him to overcome this situation. So we show that friendship and having relationships with people on the ship is actually a benefit. Absolutely. I mean, because, I mean, if one of those red shirts would have tried to resolve the situation, I mean, as you saw, they would have been giving, they would have been giving speeches, but that's as far as it would have gone. Right. I'm sure it would have been speeches or they would have got a phaser rifle and shot her. Right. And this is, I would say, kind of an underlying theme on, like, say, Voyager, where while they are cut off from everything, while Captain Janeway is the captain of that vessel, I mean, she's also, you know, you could make the argument she's almost like a she's almost like a parental figure to this crew. And um, she gets to know her crew, right? It's not like she's there and the rest of them are here, right? You see, you know, not very many times, but sometimes throughout the show, like you see her talking to a, a crewman, a, just a crewman, a much lower ranking crewman. But she's always like, you know, at ease, like she wants to be, she wants a good relationship with the crew. And I think that, she kind of proves and Boimler proves that it's not just about again, being on a starship. I mean, it is about being, having a friendship with people, with everybody. I mean, I don't know if I'm getting that point across well enough, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and I think you could even think about it like that just from like where you work. I mean, are your coworkers just your coworkers or are any of them your friends too? Yeah, and and uh, is it easier to work with people when you have some relationship with them? Of course, right. And certainly, if your coworkers thought that you were just constantly trying to become their boss, right. uh, it probably would not be a, a good environment for working. Yeah, so I think that this I I, I thought this was a f- a very good episode this week. I think that it again really reinforces and reminds you what it is to be in Starfleet. And that the, again, there's a lot more to it than just sitting in that chair and giving motivational speeches. And I like that. That's something that I don't feel. I mean, I haven't, 
I wouldn't say that I've missed it really because I haven't thought of it. But I but now that now that Lower Decks has done that, I don't think that that's sort of a theme that we've seen enough of lately. Because um, again, it's, I took it as a very on the nose swipe at Discovery, and I thought maybe there was a tiny bit of that early on in the first season when when um, uh, Burnham is you know sort of playing mentor to uh, Tilly. Right, but they don't. Yeah, they don't really go. Once Tilly got in the command program, they kind of stopped with that, right? So right. Yes, you yes, saw yes, hints uh, of it there a little bit, but maybe not enough. Well, they tell us that they still are very close, and that actually Michael's her best friend. They told us that. They didn't show us that, but they told us, and we're supposed to believe it. You know, it's interesting. You, you have to believe everything they tell you. I feel like I may have uncovered something else because you would talk. You, you and I have. You know, talked about a lot how we feel like Mariner is sort of like that is the Burnham plot except done right and I say that in quotes Burnham or uh, Mariner and uh, Boimler that dynamic is kind of I guess what the Burnham and Tilly dynamic was beginning similar in the beginning of Discovery because Tilly was still a cadet. Burnham comes in, they share quarters. Even though Burnham at that time was no longer an officer, she at least has that experience. And so, remember, like, they would, they jog down the corridors a couple of times, and she's telling her, like, you know, she's coaching her, essentially. She's mentoring her. So, I don't know. I mean, am I, am I crazy? No, I think, yeah, I think to build characters' relationships, you have to have them do things together. Yeah. And have them their personalities show while they're doing them right so it's not enough to have two people say in an action scene where they're not saying anything together you have to kind of they have to be do things together yeah and and talk (laughs) it's not that hard well but but i mean like am i crazy and that's in in noticing the parallels you think that's intentional or you just think I i just think it's a it seems intentional because yeah. Seeing seeing character relationships developed well is in stark contrast to them being developed not being developed. Right. So it's just uh, you're just noticing the difference between doing it well and n- not doing it at They're all. They're doing a similar or, thing, but one succeeding and one maybe not as well. Right. Much. One is showing and one's yeah. telling. Although I will say, given all these artifacts that Discovery or that the Cerritos has, they seem to be doing a lot of that in between episodes. That's true. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, I'm fine with that because because I don't feel like that's something that's missing. I didn't need I didn't need I didn't need to see them collect all of those artifacts to get no. some comedy mileage. It could have been an episode that probably would have been good because they generally do good episodes. Yeah. Something in now going back to what I said earlier, where the show is very much living in that sort of first two seasons of Next Generation. That's my point in a way is proven again because they decide to prank call the alien who killed Tasha Yar, Armis. <laughs> which I got a, which I absolutely loved. I loved, loved, loved that they brought Amos back, and it was just, it was perfect. 
Yeah, it was really funny, and he really came off as um, very pathetic. Yeah, because so obviously after this aired, I had to go back and watch Skin of Evil, which uh, which coincidentally was I think the first episode of Next Generation that I ever saw. Mm. It's not a great. I mean, it's memorable only because that's the episode where Tashiyo died, right? Um, what really jumped out at me in those few seconds that we saw Armas in this, in this episode, and I would not have put this past Lower Decks at all, but now you have to remember that Next Gen, particularly in the first two seasons, maybe going a little bit into the, th- into the third, this is where I talk about still had a little bit of that original series vibe to it, and an aspect of that was that they would still use those sound stages to go on planet locales. And they only had like, you know, five or six backgrounds to ha- choose from. So they would have like that gradient background and they would just, yeah, they you know. change the color uh, light yeah. on it. So I it was lo- very original series looking. I love that they drew Armistice's planet to still look like they were on, to still look <laughs> like it was on that Paramount soundstage, which I thought was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. As if that's just what many planets look like. Right. Because <laughs> it's sort of like, when Discovery went to Talos 4, I mean, not that I was expecting Talos 4 to look exactly as it did in the cage, because I would not, I was not expecting that at all. And there were enough touches there where I'm like, okay, this is, this is cool. But I love that Lower Decks decided, like, no, we're going to make it look exactly like the... Right. <laughs> Particularly when it's an animated show and they could have done anything they wanted. Exactly. It was a nice touch. But even then, like, they even made his, like, the, uh, the, the pool that he was in, like, it, it even looked, it was even shaped exactly the same way, too. So, yeah, but I had to go back and watch that episode because I hadn't watched it in a while. I just thought, well, you know, why not? And but I haven't, I haven't watched it either. I couldn't. I, I wasn't sure. It sounded like it might have been the same actor voicing, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that for sure. But they managed to keep the same. Like it ends with him shouting "Damn you!" and like up to the heavens. But just like Skin of Evil ends with Picard beaming out and like Armas like screaming up to the heavens, right? Like so they managed to keep the same like cheesiness of that of that villain totally yeah. intact. So I got to give him props for that one. I mean, that was probably, that was one of my favorite Easter eggs. At the, that was one of my favorite Easter eggs that the show has ever done. It was nice. It was nice. And it almost functioned as the opening scene would, because it was, except it was at the end. It, mm-hmm. it really was separate from the whole plot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That could have easily been the f- opening scene well, before I, the credits. Again, you know, I, I just have to keep stating it that I love that Lower Decks is giving a lot of the these disregarded aliens and plots from Next Gen and Original Series, giving them sort of new life again. And um, but they do it in the best way possible. Like they, to some, it's a joke, but others not so much. And you know, they they've they they've hell, man. They've like they they've continued to develop the pack lids. So I got to give them again, like we were saying earlier, like huge credit for that. So. Absolutely, and I definitely recommend you go back and watch that first Packlet episode, Samaritan Snare. Yeah, I gotta. Well, they they so they they mentioned the events of that episode when they talk about the Crimson Shield. That's the Enterprise oh, did yes. that. That's what they did to to fool them in a way. So yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think yeah. So my the my again my big three observations about this episode and sort of the recent batch of episodes is that the show again seems is beginning to be a little less reliant on Easter eggs 
like they're not sort of the crutch the crutch of a lot of plots or like any or they're just not throwing them at you in rapid succession um and again they seem to be doing a doing more plots that actually have real danger in them which mm-hmm. surprises me but i have i don't find anything wrong with that so no 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 um, like there's some real there's some real drama in there so um and Again, the reinforcing of the uh, of what it is to make a good Starfleet officer. It was very, it was very refreshing to have that in this episode. So, very much, yeah. And always still managing to do it with plenty of laughs. Speaking of which, what was your favorite humorous line? My favorite humorous line was from Kayshawn. Where could he be? He's giant and brown. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. good. All right. My favorite line was after, well, I, I thought that Boimler's um, first attempt at a speech was pretty funny. It was. But what I really liked is after when the leader of the red shirt said, think about Riker and say what he would say from the heart, his heart. <laughs> I really liked that with his heart. And it really also summed up very well their whole vibe of just imitating right. captains. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, good, very good one this week. Um, I think that the second half of the season is a vast improvement over the first half. I think the show, it's just, it's gradually getting better and better each week. So... Yes, opinion. I'm liking it a lot more. And I think that maybe partially it is because they've cut down on the sense or not sense, I guess senseless or random references that feel like they're coming out of nowhere. That's really made me feel a lot better about I, the show. It was getting sort of a, almost a family guy vibe to it where yeah, uh, you know, family yeah. guy's so known for the cutaway jokes. Yes. It was not yes. as if these references were cutaway jokes. You're in the middle of a scene and suddenly it's like, how about data? He was weird, and he had a cat. Like, I th- I think like, that's that's where I'm like that's where I'm coming from. I mean, it's it's not about doing doing too many of them or anything. I think it's just it's. I think for me, it's more about how you do them and where they work and they don't work. As I said, when the Xinti officer did the hunched over, I mean, that to me was a perfect use of it because again. There's two layers to that. He looks ridiculous doing that anyways. So that's just funny. But I know th- I know that he's also copying how they look on the animated series. But you wouldn't know that from the way I would have laughed at it. You would have just thought I was laughing because he was hunched over if I was watching that with somebody who had never mm-hmm. seen the animated series before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And think, too, when they're doing the um, anomaly cleanup, mm-hmm. they could have packed that with all things that we've seen in other shows, and they right. resisted so that was a, uh, they I think did. a good decision there. They did. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that they're doing less. Well, you know what? I think to your, they did that already though. Remember when they were on the, in the first episode, second episode, when they're on that museum ship and they're getting all those, like they, they did yeah. it then. I mean, it was the same thing. That's when they right. showed all the artifacts. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, there were moments that the show, I think to your point could have, done more of those sort of unspoken Easter eggs, but they chose not to. And right. um, that's a well you could keep going back to. Right. There's no shortage of weird stuff. 
to include. Right. Right. Yeah, I think th- I, I think in this recent batch of episodes, um, the show has really begun to carve out its own unique territory. Um, which isn't to say that it wasn't doing that already, but like I feel like it's doing it more heavily this time. Like last time, you know, as the show has since the show premiered, I mean, there was a bit of a over reliance, in my opinion, while it worked, but over reliance on all those Easter eggs, as if it was trying to keep consistently remind you, like, you know, hey, hey, we're in the Star Trek universe and we're going to keep reminding you of that every single week. Like, yeah, we know. We know. It's, I'm still laughing at what you're doing, but eventually I need you to kind of begin to you know, be your own self rather than trying to impress your big, your big, your older siblings. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And they are really doing it. Yeah. Been a, a, a joy. Oh, I, I, um, actually, no, that's this episode. Never mind. I almost got confused. <laughs> okay. Ah, see. Oh, All right. I almost got I think confused. It's the wrap up. Yeah. Um, well, very cool. So, yeah, so we're going to be back over the coming days to um, talk about the next episode, which I have already seen. So, and I have not. Uh, but also to give a little bit of a preview, so um, not of the next week's episode. Um, so we're recording this on September 23rd. Three days from now, September 26th, we'll mark to the day 20 years since Enterprise premiered. And wow. if you can believe that. And I think when I when I look back over the history of stuff we have talked about, mostly between seasons, Enterprise is the only Trek show that we haven't really dedicated a full episode to. Uh, no, we've, we we've done, referenced it a lot. We've referenced it. it a lot. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we've done original series, particularly in the first, as, as it pertained to the first few seasons of Discovery. We've done, I mean, we talked about next gen's 25th anniversary of the finale right as in the, in the lead up to picard we talked a little bit about ds9 with a documentary we did do some voyage we did two voyager episodes oddly enough um so yeah i mean i think that we are long overdue to do something on enterprise i, I realized we kind of missed an opportunity last year because you know we had observed the 25th anniversary of next gen's finale the 20th of voyager's finale we didn't do like a 15th anniversary of enterprise's finale which which totally went over my head so right yeah well five years that's all right but we also last year we did the 25th anniversary of voyager's premiere and then we got the 20th anniversary of the finale so uh sorry enterprise we didn't mean to uh Ignoring right. you, but all, we, all we do is we speculate about whether or not T'Pol's going to show up. That's no, usually for, how we talk about Enterprise. Well, but for a while, I mean, I so obviously you and I met each other before Discovery premiered, right? And I remember being, like, a long time before Discovery premiered, actually. You, I mean, that was your favorite Trek show for a while, yes. as I recall. Which, at I the time, did. surprised me, because I'd never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had just watched it for the first time. I sort of fell out of paying attention to what was happening in the Trek world. Mm. And so it was, uh, when I came back, I was, oh my God, there's a whole Trek series I can watch. <laughs> so I was kind of excited about it. And I, I, this was back in the days of multiple Netflix discs. And yeah. I would, uh, yeah. you know, um, 
we will uh i don't think we'll get something out by the actual anniversary right three days from now. but um happening. soon to be two shows correct say again soon to be two shows airing at the same time oh, yeah. right yeah because we're uh just like the 90s yeah we're coming into the last few episodes of lower decks for the season and we're going to be going right into Prodigy, which is going to be airing. It seems like side to side by side with Discovery. I just the thing is, I don't know how many episodes Prodigy is going to have this season. I'm assuming ten. Right. I don't know. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be fun. Yes. I don't know how. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. But on that note. We will return in a couple of days, and you can email us. Nobody ever does. No pressure to do so. <laughs> you can tweet us. You can email us at instartrekretrust at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Star Trek at tweet us at Star Trek We Trust. I almost said in I almost said Disco Podcast. That was our original Twitter. Wow, I almost said, that's why I paused for a second. And you can follow us on Instagram at in Star Trek We Trust podcast. We're getting some followers. Do all of those things that he said. And live st- long and perspire. Do you still want to know, by the way, because you did this a long time ago, do you still want to know what people are doing? When they're listening to us, or do you just not care? I, mean, I do, but I kind of gave up asking because we, we didn't get much information on it. But okay, no. yeah. So I'd like to ask, particularly for anyone that's made it this far. Did anybody? Right, you're clearly tools? dedicated, or you are, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You're trapped under a boulder and you couldn't reach the pause the off button. Uh-huh. But um, what are you doing when you listen to the show? Are you uh, going for a walk, doing the dishes? Are you uh, at the gym? Are you cuddling with your dog? Let us know. We're intrigued. We want to know where we are entering your ears and what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Entering your ears like that thing did in Chekhov's ear in Wrath of Khan. A little bit like that, yes. Yeah. A little bit like I still cannot. I still cannot watch that scene to this day. <laughs> I think it's disgusting. When we saw yeah, the Wrath of Khan tough. in theaters, I actually closed my eyes at that scene. I'm not even joking. Yeah. Yeah, even though the ear looks so bad, it still is upsetting. It's brutal. Well, it's just it's brutal because I, look, I can take gore and blood and all that stuff, but something like that go- that could really happen. A, a, something could crawl into my ear. That's the thing. Well, it could. I don't think it would have the same result. But yes. no, but still, like that's just. Yeah. Anyway, with that, we will see everybody in a couple of days. Peace out. Later.